Hello and welcome to Between Two Servers, the show where we talk about multiplayer game development and netcode. I'm Glenn and here's Matt and Ben from OneCode.com. Uh, they're doing a really cool thing in Guam for esports we're going to talk about today. Uh, Matt and Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Glenn. Cool. Good to be here. Cool. So what's your background, Ben? Uh, my background is in telecommunications and esports and a mix of being some IT before that. Cool. So I started out life as uh, just a help desk junkie at Queensland University of Technology, just resetting passwords <laughs> and then Brilliant. slowly work my way up. And you did some and, esports uh, stuff with LAN tournaments? Yes, I did. I, I ran LAN parties for years and helped out larger LAN parties bigger than my own and attended you know, LAN parties. I used to drive from Brisbane to Sydney uh, wow. every two months to go to a LAN party. That's awesome. So what's what's your background, Matt? Uh, my background's in law primarily. So I'm a I'm a recovering lawyer at the moment. Um, so don't don't hold that against me. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's where I came from. Primarily working in the technology field. So that's okay. that's how I ended up, uh, you know, starting one code. Good stuff. So actually, I understand that you and Ben were actually at QUT together, but you didn't know each other yet. Yeah, no, we, we would have crossed paths at the same times and we, we may have even been in some of the same classes, although I think both of us probably didn't go to classes much at the time, which is probably why we didn't cross paths. That's yeah. Um, and if you look out there, if you, if you dig deep enough, you'll find some photos of me at the time. I looked very different. I had long blonde hair um, and uh, was living at a, at a residential college at another uni in Brisbane. Okay. Um, so look, like the amount of time I spent at uni was 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 minimal, but I still okay. I still passed and got my degree. You, you got so. the degree, so congratulations. So Ben, I understand that you started an ISP when you were twenty two. Why does someone start an ISP when they're twenty two? <laughs> Because uh, I don't like lagging game. <laughs> okay. I never, uh, yeah, in, networking always intrigued me. And that might have been the giveaway when I started running LANs when I was 18. So, like, my first network I built was when I was 12 or 13 uh, in my own home for, you know, my family. Yeah. We had a, a network, you know, friends used to come over and they were surprised that our five computers could play games against each other in the, in the same house. And I don't think that ever stopped being a thing for me. I always loved building necessarily just networks but just building things um and then i, I sort of decided how hard could it be okay so, so just, you just I went just and did jumped it. in so what what, what just, does it take to make an isp what do you do well it really depends on you know the, the the somewhat loose definition of an isp i built what we call a a uh a layer two isp so i bought capacity from telstra uh from a company called opticom and then as mbn was rolling out from mbn and then I would collect that traffic in a city and then I would then handle all the routing from your nearest capital city to the rest of the globe by buying capacity okay. from other backbones and doing things differently to everyone else, you know, so making my own unique decisions with how the your network would work based so on did, a game. How did you make your ISP unique? Like what, what is it that you're starting an ISP for when there are a whole, whole bunch of different ISPs out there? So what I did back then was I disabled a feature on the, you know, the, predominant last mile technology called ADSI disabled interleaving, which took 22 milliseconds off of people's okay. consent connections, which is yeah, a pretty- That's big, a big deal, especially if you're playing in the same city. That could actually, that could be- Yeah, if you're a competitive CSGO player at the end of a, you know, yeah. 
three kilometer ADSL string, the interleaving was quite a big latency. Yeah, that could even have been most of it gone right there. Hey, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so Matt, tell me about how you came to this. So you're, you don't have the, you don't necessarily have exactly the same technology background, but from the technical lawyer area, you, you, you and Ben ended up sort of combining and forming one code. So how did you come at it? Yeah, yeah, I, I came at it from the uh, the legal angle. So um, I'm a technology lawyer. I was a technology boy by trade. Um, and uh, like I, I started in law, geez, probably six or seven years ago. Um, started in litigation of all things, actually. Um, it's a lot of court work. Got sick of having to appear before judges and, uh, you know, dealing with people at their worst and yeah. wanted to really move um, onto the other side and kind of helping people stay out of that and do things better at what they call the front end. Um, and what I realized pretty early on was that there just weren't that many technology lawyers out there. Meanwhile, the technology sector is booming. You had all these new software as a service companies, uh, a lot of new telecommunications companies coming up and, um, you know, they were taking advice from like property lawyers and, you know, you'd see some of these contracts coming across your desk and they look like a property contract or just a commercial contract. Didn't, you know, uh, they didn't factor in any of the unique parts of, of the tech world. Um, so they wouldn't talk about the where, where the data is being stored, how it's being developed. They wouldn't right. factor in things like open source software and you know, just deal with all the, all the little niche issues. There's a lot of GDPR stuff coming out at the time as yep. well, which I'm sure most people are familiar with. Um, and yeah, and that, that really worked well because I'd always had a passion for tech. Um, I was running a tech podcast on the side and doing some consulting as well. So um, yeah, and, and look, like, and that gave me like a good breadth of experience with a number of businesses and you almost fall into almost like a business advisor role with a lot of these businesses as well as a, a legal advisor. And yeah, frankly, I just got sick of helping other people build their own companies and wanted to, wanted to do something in my own, which was, which, which was exactly why we uh, eventually fell into OneCode. That's awesome. So you got the entrepreneurial itch. Really? I did. Yeah, I did. And it, look, it's been an issue I've had for a long time, but you know, you've just got to find the right way to scratch it. Right. And okay. this was, this was very much the right way to scratch it. So you, you started up one code and when you first started it, you, you created it as a last mile ISP. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, how did, yeah how about, what, what, what led you to that? Like why, why did you start there as, as a wireless ISP? Um, look, honestly, it was it was quite a reactionary decision, I think, just because the biggest pain point in Australia for the last few years has really been the, the what they call the National Broadband Network. Um, right. The National Broadband Network is a $60 billion-ish dollar project by our federal government. It's been a political football. So, it's been so, wait, so that's like fiber optic to pretty much every home? Is that, is that what that oh, is? Oh, well, that, that was the original pitch. Um, oh, I forgot. And, uh, okay. It's the football we, part. All right. Yeah, if you remember, um, we went through a period uh, where we had about five different prime ministers in about two years. Like it was just like the, the 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 most bizarre period of Australian political history we've ever had. And NBN was the big hot ticket item, um, and that was what was getting kicked around like a football. And so we started with a five to every home project, which would have been bloody amazing. It would have been incredible. Exactly what we um, need, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it was meant to future-proof us for, you know, the next 30, 40, 50 years. And uh, what we ended up with was like this Frankenstein of technology where we had some fiber, a lot of old copper, some fixed wireless, and it's just not fit for purpose. So yep. um, there's a lot of areas that are really underserved. And the goal for OneCode uh, in that very early stage was let's build out a, let's target a couple of areas build out a, a last mile wireless ISP because wireless had come a long way. 
serve them and then scale the business. Okay, so you're, round, you're routing around the whole fiber to every home. You're not going around digging channels and putting fiber to people's houses. You're, you're like, let's do it wireless. We'll just get around all this BS. Yep. And, and then at that point, Ben joins and Ben brings in all this technical expertise around networking. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what Ben um, really, like what, what the, the first thing he really impressed upon us and, and, and told us was that the rot goes a lot deeper. And I, like, Ben, I don't know if you want to discuss a little bit about exactly how the behind the scenes work once you leave the MBN as well and how bad that is too. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I guess there's this, this, you know, illusion in Australia that all the problems begin and end with the MBN and the ISPs are not a fault. You know, they're just these Aussie battlers, you know, just trying to trying to make a dollar and trying to get along. But it, it's really not the case. There's a lot of poor networking decisions, poor routing decisions, uh, networks built to cost, not to quality or to standard. And a lot of, if you saw it, you'd sort of scratch your head. You'd go, hang on, why are they doing that? Why are they sending all your traffic to Melbourne? To you know, Because that's where they interconnect with one other network. It's the only place they do it. And for commercial reasons or to gatekeep the you know their network, they purposely don't interconnect with that, that network in Sydney. Okay, so you, you're, you're saying for an interconnection, it's two networks connecting yes. to each other. So and two ISPs or two, two networks. Two ISPs, like- so they're not necessarily sending your traffic the... They're not really sending it the best way or the right way all the time. No. It's sort of the outcome of of really weird political and or cost or what's what sort of what sort of things have you seen in this? What what makes you say that the rot is is going a lot deeper here? Uh, well, ISPs that will purposely trombone your traffic. So, say you live in in Sydney and you need you want to play connect to a server in Los Angeles, but the provider that server resides on doesn't pay your ISP the you know the tax okay. should, the, the isp feels they should be getting paid so they send your traffic via singapore just out of spite and singapore is quite out of the way on the way to it is Los it's Angeles. an extra you know it's like a thirteen thousand kilometer round trip ex- additional you know scenic route as we call, we call it scenic route routing internally as, okay. as sort of a joke uh we've seen it we've seen it plenty of ways we've seen um a recent tournament we ran Server was in Guam. Play was in Mongolia. Mongolian ISP took it to LA first, because. <laughs> okay, so so why why is this happening? I think generally the biggest driver behind this isn't a technical driver. Like to all credit to the engineers and these ISPs, yeah. they want to do it properly. It's usually a commercial driven decision. It's the the upper management and C level purposely gatekeeping access to their users because they want to sort of make money on both ends. If you think of your ISP, you know, charging you, you know, 50, 80, $90 a month for your, you know, whatever HFC cable DSL connection you're on. And then the ISP tries to charge the other side. So they try and charge me to then connect to them. So you, you as in one code or is it another network or or some hosting? Me or as, as... the only other guys they usually peer with are people they consider on their level, which would be an example like Telstra would happily peer with, say, Comcast, because okay, they yeah. have a very mutual build size. But as a content provider, Telstra is going to try and charge me as much as they can, and and we have seen. Oh, okay. Some so you're you're talking about the seriously eye watering. This is like paid interconnects versus free interconnection. Correct. Yeah, okay. and it's not even it's it, they go so as far as they won't even participate in what we call. Uh, 
neutral peering exchanges in cities. So, you know, in most countries in the world now, there's a group of people who have set up these neutral exchanges, which are very reliable and there's no technical reason not to connect to them. And it's not like they don't already have their network in the same data room, usually in the same meet me room sitting there. They just right there. refuse to connect to these peering exchanges and exchange traffic. Because okay, they it. know if they gatekeep their users, people will come to them and pay because they'll have no option. Got it. Because the so user is, doesn't know any different. Is this something that's specific to Australia? No, no, this, this is everywhere in the world. Um, believe it or not, um, although Australia is um, probably more expensive, it, it's much easier because you know they know the game. In America, it, it's far more difficult to even open that line of communication with the ISPs in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then once you do open the line of communication, you get the wrong person the first 25 times until you finally find that one guy or girl or person in the organization who handles that. And then it's a six month, you send them an email six months later, they send you back a quote and you fall off your chair. With so to put, to put myself in sort of the situation of something that game developers are used to dealing with. Mm-hmm. So um, most game developers don't run their own servers and don't really co-locate. No, no we, don't, we don't, we don't tend to do that. And that's not my background. So I'm, I, I, I usually rent servers from a company that has them already set up and they're already doing connectivity. So here you're effectively saying that the companies hosting bare metal servers are not always necessarily able to get the best route from every ISP. Correct. And in, and in and fact, the ISP may be charging them for that privilege. Uh, definitely charging, definitely trying to charge them. Yeah. That's crazy. And all of, and so if anyone's wondering why you're not getting good latency from one point to another all the time for every, every game you play, here's a big reason why. And, and it's not technical, right? Hey, so Matt, let's flip over to your point of view. So you're, you're looking at this from a legal point of view. What's going on here? Uh, yeah, well, I, <laughs> it's, it's really funny because like, uh, like the similarities between the legal sector and the telco sector are, are, are stark. Um, and I feel like the legal sector, at least you can kind of understand why. So a lot of these people in the legal sector, even people I came up under, um, they're, you know, they're, they're old school. You know, they still write things right. on paper. They still want physical file yep. notes and folders. And, you know, like are you still operating on systems that were built 20 years ago? Um, uh, but the, the, the telco industry, I feel like, has a bit less of an excuse because, all of the great stuff that we see, you know, like we're, we're sitting on a Zoom meeting right now talking half yeah. with you, you know, halfway across the world. This is, this um, is all what we're talking about is the infrastructure making this happen. And, yeah. and it, it's it's built on uh, some really old, stinky rubber bands. Exactly. And, yeah. And, and, old tech, yeah. Old, old methodologies. Like, you know, if for, for an industry that facilitates all of our innovation effectively, it is really, really behind at that at that bottom layer. Um and you know, and that's that's a whole part of that rot story, right? And 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 the incentives for that industry are very much now about uh, price. Everyone is getting squeezed on price um, from all sorts of different vendors, uh, and there's a lot of consolidation happening too. So as all these companies get bought out and bought out by bigger companies, uh, the price drops. But invariably, what's happening is the quality is dropping as well. You know, and Ben mentioned earlier about the routing and you know, basically being sent places you shouldn't be, that's because all these companies are optimizing for cost. And okay, so this sounds like a real perverse incentive, optimizing for the lowest cost rather than optimizing yeah. for the best experience. Yeah, exactly. And so you've got like, I mean, as a society, I feel like we're moving in a, in a and the technology is moving in a, a direction that's very, more and more latency sensitive, right? right. Latency yeah. is becoming more and more Absolutely. important 
Um, but the the industry that's actually running the infrastructure with everything works on is moving the other direction. It's going well. We're that's, just going to send it where it's that's good enough, it's right? Yeah, 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 and and there's and generally the cheapest routes are you know where there's the most cables, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly in Asia Pacific, uh, which is obviously where where we're focused on at the moment, um, there isn't a lot. Like there's a there's a there's some there's a lot of cables in some very distinct areas, but in a lot of other areas there's not many. And so it it, it isn't as cheap to send things quickly. And the problem is because it's so big, if right. you're routing for like you know cheapest cost you may be adding hundred milliseconds onto yeah. a route, you know, and, and we saw that recently. Um, we ran a tournament in Guam and we'll, we'll talk about Guam later, but um, some of the directions that these ISPs right. were sending their customers. I've just, seen this too. I've oh, seen this with our stuff. I'm wondering how does this happen? And, and now it's really, really clear. Um, ISPs yeah. don't really have any way to distinguish the applications that are real time. Yeah. And they kind of just have to, they, they just see a bunch of traffic and packets and they don't really have any incentive to do anything other than the send at the cheapest path. That's right. And even if they yeah. wanted to, you know, like it, it, it's it's a it's a mindset shift too, right? Like yeah, yeah, most yeah. of these international carriers and ISPs are, are building on equipment that's 20 or 30 years old. And, you know, no one wants to be that guy in the boardroom of these big company that puts their hand up and says, hey, I think we should spend all of this year's budget on, our, on upgrading our entire network uh, and, and, and optimizing for low latency because invariably the questions will be asked well you know why would we do that it's going to cost a lot of money and and how and what benefit will that give us well you know it'll cost us more as well when we won't yeah. make as much money so it's an instant it's an instant no from these okay. companies and, and 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 that's that's why there's there's so many issues because you know it, it, like they're just not the incentives just aren't aligned um, Got it. and so you've you start one code, it's initially a Wi-Fi ISP for the last mile, and you're doing really good linking and you're getting around a lot of the bad routes and you're providing higher quality connectivity for the people who are taking your network. Brilliant. Yeah. And now COVID hits. <laughs> what happened? Uh, well, yeah. Um, COVID was like, so, so obviously COVID has been a net negative for the world, right? And it's been, it's been horrible. But, but, but I think for us, it really clarified the direction that we wanted to go in as a company um, uh, because data, data needs went up. Um, and at the same time that, that data needs were going up, um, everyone was staying home. And some of the, like the, the, the people that I guess suffered the most or like the, the suffering became a bit more pronounced was the gamers because all of a sudden you had all these gamers hitting infrastructure and, um, and, and realizing that actually like, the infrastructure is not up to scratch, you know, and and queue times in certain games blew out, um, servers overheated, people were getting routed all sorts of weird directions, and esports particularly. I mean, we all saw it um, yeah. that you know all the local events died. You couldn't go to a LAN, and so yeah. everyone was yeah. online. So everyone went remote. Um, yeah, and look, like I mean, we're we're Aussie, and uh, and and like we've grown up with just horrible connectivity to the rest of the world. Uh, for all our life and we're all gamers um, and so for us we, we looked at that and we said well here's an advantage for us to start solving a problem and and as, as fortune would have it at the time a new cable was being landed on the Australian east coast as well um, and until last year all of the cables our subsea cables which is where all the data goes either landed in Sydney or Perth Perth is on one side of the country Sydney's on the other uh, but this cable okay, landed- okay, hold. so so if I'm a, if I'm a gamer in Brisbane 
Yeah. And I'm playing on, say, Singapore or even 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 New Zealand, even even like, well, maybe New Zealand's not a very good example because Sydney kind of is on the way to New Zealand. But let's yeah. say Singapore. I may have been going, I was going down to Sydney and then back up past Brisbane again on the way to Singapore. Either that or you were going via Perth. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. that going by Perth would have been a good idea. No, no, because you're effectively going down to the bottom of Australia and then you're going across and then you're going back up. Um, and even for Sydney, like anything, you know, let's say you're a World of Warcraft player or something. Um, if you were playing on a North American server, you were going down to Sydney and then across um, to, uh, to LA, that, that route. So okay. effectively, you're always going down. You're always adding an extra hop. Um, okay. and, so every, and everyone, this- everyone thinks there's like... like- as, an, as a network developer, like a, a network programmer, I'm not a network engineer like you, Ben, but I would always, I would, I always kind of had in my mind the idea that major cities are connected, right? Like, like, you know, like maybe we don't have the country stuff worked out as much as we should, but like everything's pretty good. But the reality is, is that the topology between countries isn't necessarily always there for every city. No, no and, no, and no, it's, it's very complicated. So, so Ben, tell me about the... Tell me about the uh, the way that you're solving this problem with one code and how you built that out. Once you guys once you guys got the once you guys got the cable landed in Brisbane, what did you do? Well, well, yeah, I actually um, the idea I, I'd been I'd had it years prior. I'd been working on it since 2016, but that new cable really sort of, it was the last piece of the puzzle. Like I had one cable already that went that direction from Sydney, but it was owned by an incumbent ISP who uh, sell it for nearly double the price of what we pay for the new cable. So it's, and that's the problem is that I can solve a lot of problems, but can I, can I also make those problems commercially viable? So I'm sort of, you know, it's this, it's this tug of war we have internally where, we can solve things a lot faster if we wanted to, but then could we ever actually convince anyone to pay us even cost price for that service? And the answer is, believe it or not, more often than not, no. Okay. When you talk to the developers, when you talk to the, the people hosting servers, if you told them, oh, it's going to cost you $6,000 a month for a game server, they're all going to fall off their chair and hey, laughter. Uh, it is a price-sensitive industry, honestly. People it is. It's and, money, but it's price-sensitive. And, and the big the big providers, they, they're always putting that downward pressure on the the cost per CPU core per gigabyte of RAM, mm-hmm. so we have to, you know, that's the hand we're dealt. That's the game we have to play in. So we have to, we can afford to sometimes be a little bit more expensive if we can make a big value proposition that it's going to be okay. still worth your money. But yeah. we can't go out and try and charge you, you know, a hundred times the price of what existing is out there just for a hundred milliseconds because most game developers are still going to say, look, I'd love to use it, but I can't afford it. When you, when you look at the total amount of traffic that a game is sending and you do the math on it, uh, it's, it's a lot of money to have a 10 or a hundred X price on bandwidth. Um, it is. Yeah. And that's... games are still pretty low bandwidth. And that's the other thing too. Is that's true. The, for video and other applications, it's like, nuts. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That the minimum buy price for these cables, like the minimum commit you have to have of say a hundred gigabit, that's that's a yeah. lot of like you can fit a million players inside a gig if you really like on Counter Strike or something like that. Like yeah. get playing games actually doesn't use much traffic. Downloading maps and updates yeah. does, but once you're actually in the game yeah. and you know, Call of Duty players, I hear your pain every time you get a hundred and forty-five gig update dropped on you on a on a Friday afternoon at four p.m. But once you actually get in the game, your your traffic is very low. It's it's below 100 kilobits so this, a second. This this sort of frames it very well for everybody because what we've really got here, we're not talking about 
download or that there's CDNs and there's there's a legitimate industry huh. built around optimizing download speeds. And we all, we all love it. It's all good. It's to solve a problem in 2021. But here's the challenge. We have this class of applications and they may not be sending a lot of traffic, but they're really sensitive on latency, packet loss and jitter. And then we have this internet that really is just all about like, well, how much can you download? Yeah. You know, can uh, I watch and- Netflix in 4K? You know, like it's not about what's my lowest ping, what's my lowest jitter, what's my lowest packet loss. And that's what games need. Right? Yeah. And, and if you look at the even like on these submarine cables, the SLA, like the, the the promise they give us on latency is always far, far conservative to what we actually achieve on the cable, which means if the cable ever has an issue and that latency jumps up, we can rarely, yeah. or we can rarely come back to them and say, hey, the latency has gone up. What's the problem? They go, is it within the SLA? We don't care. Okay, got it. And ISPs wow. will say the same thing to you on wow. what we call backbone links or what we call metro links between data centers. If you buy what we call an Ethernet link, which we tend to shy away from, we buy services called wavelength services, which give us... So you buy a 10 gig wave from one point to another. Yeah, a yeah. 10 or a 40 or a 100 okay. or even a 1 on, on mm-hmm. some places where you know uh, capacity is expensive or constrained. But... It, it means that we can get a guaranteed latency because there's no intermediary switching or if you're the ghost one running devices, all of the hardware. Yeah. yeah, that's it. You're you're, okay. you're buying it. A, 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 you know, you're buying it the lowest layer you can easily. And and in metropolitans, we don't even buy waves. We tend to buy dark fiber and do it okay. ourselves again, just to ensure that that latency never goes up. Because the ISPs that you know everyone else almost doesn't care about latency. They, they'll they go, oh, if it's going to be, the best we can do is 60, let's promise 80. And that way we don't have to worry if the- See, if this, it, if it, this really gets me because when I'm playing a game, I can honestly tell you that as a game developer and as a player, um, an extra 20, 30, 40, 100 milliseconds, that's a big difference. That's not the same. But no. these networks are being built assuming that it's all pretty much the same. So, yeah. hey, so, so going back to you, Matt, when that, when that new submarine cable landed in Brisbane- What's the story? <laughs> well, we like, like I thought that everyone would be jumping on it, right? Because it's, there's a population of about you know five, six million people that would directly benefit from it straight away. Um, yeah. uh, it's the fastest link to Asia from Oceania, um, and the other cable that got laid on the other end, which goes up to Tokyo, is a similar story. It's it you know, it links everything super fast, um, and it terminates in a little place called Guam. Now. Um, ben was talking about the missing piece there. Like that was that 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 cable really then let us say, and there's a, the same cable comes out of Sydney as well. So we're able to offer the same thing to the Sydney. Um, the game is from Sydney, but it was a a path to Guam uh, with low latency uh, from the eastern coast of Australia that we could then yeah. hop over to Hong Kong. We could hop over to Singapore. We could hop over to Tokyo, and we could also hop over to LA. Um, and when you look at a map and you are uh, and and you look at you know, Guam on the map, you'll see it's it's relatively central. Um, and North America is a little bit further away, uh, but it's still relatively central, particularly on a cable map, right? And there's submarine cable maps out there you can look at. We'd initially planned to, you know, do that in maybe like a year or two, right? Like that was more part of the long-term plan. Hey, let's, um, we know there's something there. Let's move on that, work towards that. Um, but with COVID happening, with the cable landing and no one, no one really jumping on it, um, you know, and, and that, like a, that we, we were the first one, which was just uh, uh, incredible for a new that, startup. That blows um, my mind because you're like two guys in a garage. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, it, <laughs> and it was like, 
it was a Friday afternoon at about 4.30 and I called Matt. And at this point, we were we were really busy pushing hard for getting last mile built. And I remember calling Matt and saying, we need to talk about this this cable because we hadn't committed to the cable at this point. We, we, mm-hmm. we tie kicked, we got the prices. And I remember saying to Matt, look, I really want to do this, but I don't want to send us broke doing it. So yep. you tell me when the money's right and then we'll go. And okay. that was it. And then a month later, I called him and said, I don't think COVID's going away. And here is, you know, demonstrated evidence of esports teams all getting yeah. shafted by COVID. Yeah. Here's demonstrated of like, especially Asia. Asia got hurt the most because unlike mm-hmm. Europe, unlike America, it's not one contiguous big body of land. Yeah, it's, it's everyone's so in different countries. Everyone connected. is dependent yeah. on subsea capacity. Yeah. And a lot of the ISPs in Asia, um, they just build to lowest cost very heavily and they don't really care about where the traffic goes. And more importantly, even the content providers in Asia, they only build in the cheap data centers because data center space in Asia is generally a lot more expensive than North America or Europe. Mm. And I remember saying to Matt, you know, we have actually a window here and it's just opened, I believe, now that COVID is, you know, we're, we're stuck with it for a while. I'd say so, yeah. My my mm. thought is maybe we should revisit Guam and I don't know if we should jump on it right now or if we should wait a few months, if we should pivot. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure the best path Here's the idea that I've dropped on the table, and I think it's you know pretty valid. And we say go, and that that's you know that's wow. really the story, right? Like we, you know, and 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 the thing is with you know with, with everything Ben just said there is that you know it, it is a very underserved market. Um, mm-hmm. The incentives are like almost conversely aligned, right? Like expensive data center space, expensive connectivity, and, and you know what's uh, crazy about it? it's the fastest growing gaming region in the whole world. Exactly, exactly. And look, like, you know, people say, oh, there's not a lot of money there right now, which yeah, is yeah, which yeah. isn't even true anyway. Yeah. Like, it's the largest yeah. by, by by monetary value, if you look at the stats, it's the largest region in the world for gaming now. Um, but that is just going to billion people in Asia on a side note. Guys. Yeah. Just, yeah. 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 Like, it's a, Seven billion people in the world and 4.5 of them live in Asia. Like, so you got, I think it's market. about like 80 or $90 billion of revenue coming out of, coming out of Asia this, this year. Is, um, this is really, really serious. So basically, as a game developer now, as a game developer now, I can see that you have a centrally hosted place in Guam mm. that is it is latency neutral to all of the major regional areas that play gaming and esports in that area. And because it's in the center and because you have these really good networks behind it, they can all play together instead of in their own little silos. Yeah, and that that's really the vision for for Guam, and like we're we're, call, we're calling it our hub model, right? And like, there's going to be more of these down the track, but I think Guam is definitely the the area that's most pronounced, um, and it's addressing a need, a really big need in an area that's very underserved. Um, yeah. and, and you know, and and that's that's 100 right. Like we've effectively got a, a DDoS protected network um, that's optimized for low latency. You know, it's protected at all the edges. Everything transits over over our network and ends up at Guam. And the real, the 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 big thing with Guam is like, you know, it's it may not be the lowest latency area to any of these. You know, you could you could host things more locally, uh, but the more hyper local you get, particularly with certain it's, types it's, of it's, games, it's fragmentation. It's it, exactly as, as, as a game developer, there's a choice that you have to make between fragmenting your player base and having everyone play together. And the yep. reality is that you really have to, no matter what you do. Now, even if you put a server, a data center in every city, all you would do is to have, you know, a hundred different shards of your game running regionally. 
And yeah. often it's more interesting if you, if you know that your game is good up to a certain point of latency and you can get everyone centrally served by something in that region, that can be a really strong way to bring all those players together. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing, right? Because everything at the moment is about player retention, you know? And the moment mm-hmm. that you kind of drop into that um, twilight zone of like, you know, queue times over a minute or low server population or, you know, people yeah. getting sent some weird, you know, from someone from Japan getting sent to New York server because they're yeah. playing at 2 a.m. in the morning or something, you start yeah. losing players. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's I think, where that, that model really starts to shine is like, well, we know that the latency is acceptable. Um, we know that yeah. it's, you know, it rocks solid to all these different areas uh, and, and so, so let's let's consider that. And then if you add into the mix the fact that like the more you hyper-localize, the more support burden you have, uh, yep. the more, you know, latent resources you have that aren't getting properly utilized. Uh, remote hands, like if you're if you're rolling any of your own infrastructure, you need remote hands at each of those locations. Um, and you need to, you know, be able to basically send them out at a moment's notice. Um, Whereas with somewhere like Guam, you know, like we, we're simplifying it. We're just saying, hey, look, like you can serve most of this region um, and uh, from, from Guam. Yes, you can still have satellite servers and infrastructure. And that's something that we do as well. But um, it makes sense as a backbone to like have a, have a latency neutral hub uh, mm. that, you know, it, it just keeps it simple. And that's just your, your spot. And that's, that's, I think, one thing that Matt and I have to drive home to people is they assume when they jump on a call with us, we want them to dump all their servers. And we're not saying that. We're actually saying, look, don't change your servers at all initially. Just take one in Guam and let your algorithm start sending players there. And then when you see the balance, maybe buy two more in Guam and downscale on the edges a bit where you have less players. Because yeah. um, when you, you roll back you, to that, that initial you, point we made of the money, if you can have a always available game at a playable latency, people are going to stay. They're going to spend more money in your game. You're going to make more money. Like, and 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 if you have all the people from Tokyo, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Philipp- you know, Philippines. Uh, Philippines, Vietnam, big, big market in the Philippines. It's like big a, deal. What, and they're all people. able to play with Australians at roughly the same latency as mm. on the east coast. And now it's it it feels a lot like there's a an eastern side of APAC central region now in Guam, Mm. whereas historically what we've done as game developers from my experience is Singapore has acted as that region, but that Mm. really is only caught Western Australia, which which is Perth. And most of those Western Australian poor people, I'm so sorry for you guys, because they're not able to really play on Sydney servers, are they? Uh, Is that okay? Because we see so many of them. I see so Um, many of them going up to Singapore. It's probably yeah, much well, for muchness, isn't it? I, I, it's like it's about them. a coin flip these days. Like it's like sixty nine yeah. from Perth to Singapore, and on the cheaper cables, it's about fifty from Perth to Sydney. There is a fast path that gets you down in the thirties, which we are, you know, we're we're, we're, we're investigating internally. Yeah. But it, it's it's not cheap. Um, it's actually more expensive than submarine capacity between Guam and Singapore, which is kind of hilarious. Um, it's. The reason you'll see players from Perth on Singapore just quickly is that the matchmaking algorithm has so many players in Singapore, it's easier just to toss them on the They get, they get sucked. Up. They get sucked towards they get, they get sucked in yeah. just to fill it's up the server, like, right? It's almost like a gravity well. Okay. Yeah. yeah, well, if you think of, um, and you would know this better than me, is a lot of matchmaking algorithms, if you drop, like if you open the console when you hit play a game, what it does 
is it's pretty crude. It just pings every region and then goes, yeah. okay, these three regions. And then it reports its latency to the, the mm-hmm. matchmaking mm-hmm. coordinator. And the coordinator then goes, okay, well, Sydney's your lowest latency. I'm going to toss you there. But yeah. when you're in Perth, it goes, well, actually, Sydney or Singapore. And then it goes, coin flip, Singapore. Off you go. Yep. And, and then hey, like the player has no, just in a lot of games, the player has no control over this, right? They can't yeah. say, I want to play on Sydney. I'm a big now, there fan are some of, developers. I'm a really like big Valve. fan of games that let you select the region because yeah, well, when, when you, when you, when you basically as a game developer say, no, 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 no. I know where you, I mean, you're, you're taking on every, everything that that player would want in their decision-making. Maybe they have friends online right now in Singapore that they want to play with. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you know? I've got a great example here is when Valorant first came out, I don't think there was a shortage of Sydney servers. I think there was a shortage of Japanese players because myself and my friends kept getting dumped on Japan servers to top up their queues. Oh, you're feeling and my friends were in Perth. Queue. Yeah. My friends were in Perth. So like I'm on a like I'm on 95 MS, which is right on the top end. That that's okay. bearable. But these poor guys are on plus another 60 on top of that. So they're at like 150 milliseconds. And then we're playing against players on two because they're in Tokyo next to the server yeah. on five. That's a tough one. So I think uh, that's your excuse for that match. And there's no button in Valorant. Like it shows you your latency to the servers, right? But there's no button. I'm not terrible. I've just had high latency. Now yeah, we've, my, we've discovered the uh, we've discovered the motivating factor actually for creating one code, which is that you're terrible at CS:GO. Oh, 100. I think we've actually like, but, but it's funny you say that, Glenn, because I think we've all got a bit of a chip on our shoulder. <laughs> like, um, like we all grew up with with. With just rub, you know, I, I can remember I, I was in a Battlefield 2 tournament like 15 years ago or so, like a long time ago. Um, and uh, we nearly made it to like the, we were like one step before they fly to LA or something. It was awesome. Oh my God. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, the, and then and, the internet crossed you that day. Right? Well, we, we had to play this Korean team. And of course, like there was no one code doing like a latency neutral area, right? So we had to play okay. Korean servers. And okay, I was right. in um, on, our, on our farm on an ISDN connection. Yeah. Um, That's going to go you know, well. I, and I pulled the phone out because on ISDN, you like, yep. You, yep. you need the two lines to, to, to make, to make it possible. Um, and, uh, and we got rolled. We got completely rolled because of course, like we were on like 150 milliseconds or something. <laughs> These Koreans oh. were on like one in the middle of Seoul. Um, yeah. They were good. Like they probably oh, would have yeah. beat us yeah, anyway, yeah. but you know, um, I will still to this day blame the latency. Um, so you, you heard it here first, folks. This is this is why one code was created. It's uh, it, it's so that the future match sharings of the world on their farms can can play <laughs> competitive Korean esports and have a fighting chance with fifty percent latency. Um, okay, so I'm a game developer, right? And I'm looking at this one code thing. And I go to your website and I look at the Guam thing. How do I work with you guys? What do, what what do I do? Tell, tell me how I can use the stuff that you, you've built, Ben. Well, sorry, I'm just torn because we've taken Matt and I have had a lot of calls. I don't want to think about how many calls we've had in the last two months alone with developers. And we've taken that feedback on board. And we're actually building a new service right now in the background, in the in the wings to address this and make it as low friction as possible to get you guys, the developers, on. I'm just I don't know. I'm, I'm looking for cues if I can tell people about it. I look, we haven't even told people internally in the company yet what we're building. Like half, like three people out of 15 know what, what we've built. Um, Matt, four. do you know? You can, you can foreshadow it. We can, we can foreshadow it, right? Like I think, I think you know, what we've learned, I mean, first of all, like to, to answer your question directly, I'd say reach out to us because yeah, there is the always, 
always a way we can help um, and we can, you know, we can develop solutions for basically anyone. That's a big advantage of us. We're small. We will roll out the red carpet um, and, uh, and, you know, we've got like, we, we can, we can help wherever we need to. Right. But uh, you know, there, there is a definite um, impression that we're getting that um, a lot of developers are, you know, like are looking for something a little bit more accessible at the moment where, you know, where most of our offerings are, um, either bare metal or, you know, like a, a managed dedicated kind of service. Right. Um, whereas, you know, the industry standard of course is, is moving a little bit more towards like an on-demand mm-hmm. spin up, spin mm-hmm. down kind of model. Um, and we've heard that. So that's okay. like, that's, that's what's coming. So um, I, can, I can, I can see where this, how this story goes. <laughs> yeah. So that's really yeah. good news. So what about if I am an esports tournament, can you guys help me? We can, we can help you right now. Certainly, yeah, um, right now. Yeah, we, like, we have so, so, we, so I'll reach out. I'll reach out. Like I'm running a tournament. It's coming up in this date, and and you can Odd. help me host centrally in Guam for APAC. Depends on the game. Okay, so if, some if, some if the game is hostable. Yes. Okay, or, yeah, or if the game developer is open, like if you are an esports tournament, generally you have a good inroads with developer. If you can, you know. You can convince them to, you know, pick up the phone and talk to us, and we can even just for the period of the tournament help them get a temporary server online, which we will do. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There, there so are certain games which you will know the name tricky. of, which they control yeah. their infrastructure with an iron fist. No one can host servers. Nothing like that. We're sort of hands tied on that 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 front, okay. unless so the developer wants to talk. As long to as us, you but- have a server binary and you can host the server, you guys can help it. Yeah. Yep. Okay, yeah. Cool. And look, we're and we're happy to work with like if the, if there is a you know p- particular infrastructure provider that someone's using um, or to to manage things or whatever, right? Like we're happy to work with them too. Like I, I think. Well, like a good, a good a, example would be like multiplay. A lot of game developers exactly. use multiplay, and yeah. exactly. uh, that's the sort of thing that could work with you guys quite easily. Correct. Yeah, and that, yeah. We're, we're more than open to that. I mean, for us, this is about just like opening APAC up and actually like. You know, giving people a better experience in this area first, and we'll move to the the other areas after that. But um, yeah, we've got we've got compute server resources there, ready to go. They're all network attached. Um, so if you're uh, whether you're a gaming developer or an esports company or whoever else, like it, it's it's relatively trivial for us to provision you a a dedicated server. For example, now um, you've got access to the network. Um, it's all DDoS protected, and and away you go. You know, and and um, and for us, I think the big thing is like if if you've got doubts, just reach out and like Ben said, we'll we'll set you up with a test, um, so you can you can see what it's like because it is it is a, a slightly new concept, right? It's it's yeah. it's very different to the way that things are normally provisioned, um, but uh, yeah, like it's it, you know it, so, so so we appreciate that it it may need some uh, some testing before people are willing to to spin up a lot of resources on on an island like Guam. No, it's brilliant. Yeah. And I mean, look, the math certainly works out and the, the, the latency numbers on your website and uh, uh, we'll just bring it up here so you can sort of take a look and see the links and see the latency that we've got here. So everybody, look, I think it's awesome. And if I can announce this now as well, we're working together. So Network Next and OneCode, um, we're friends. And when mm-hmm. you're using Network Next, we're, we're using OneCode's network and that's how some of the traffic in the, APAC region is getting accelerated on Network Next. And so if you host in OneCode, you also get all the benefits of their networks. And even if you don't host in OneCode, if their link is amazing from one point to another, we can fix the bad routing from an ISP. So, but uh, but the one thing Network Next can't really do is we, we don't host servers. 
So if you want the best place to host your servers in APAC, give these guys a call, onecode.com. And uh, that's it for the show today. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much, Glenn. Here's the hard truth. The internet doesn't care about your game. After all the blood, sweat and tears you put into making your game, you launch and some players get terrible network performance. What can you do about it? Build your own internet? This is why we created Network Next. Network Next is a radically new way of linking networks together. It's a new internet. One where networks compete on a neutral marketplace to carry your game's traffic. Network Next puts you, the game developer, in control of the network. We monitor every player's network performance and you choose when to accelerate them. Not only will you see better network performance for your players, you'll also have the security of knowing that if one network is congested, we switch to another in seconds. Now you control the network.